So here's the question. When the rules we've been operating by have burnt us out and the hamster wheel is keeping us awake at night and stuck, how do we, as expert entrepreneurs who want to make significant impact but just can't take on one more thing, grow our businesses and teams, double our revenue while working less? That's the question. This is the Business Habitat. I'm Sam Dean, your host, and this show explores the answers. Stay tuned and enjoy some brave conversations. Hello, everybody. And again, I can say good morning and good evening because I have another Canadian on the podcast on the Business Habitat. And I'm super excited about this one. 100th podcast today as well. And I've got Eleanor Beaton. Now, Eleanor has literally changed our business. We've been with her for a couple of years. I met her in Phoenix, Arizona, would you believe, in 2019. And she has amazing mission um, in life. I'm actually going to get her to introduce herself and tell you about that. And then we're going to dig into some thought leadership. Eleanor, take it away. I'm so privileged to be here with you, Sam, especially on the 100th episode. I just have to thank you for sharing and that opportunity with me. It's so exciting. I just am such a fan of the work that you do. So I'm the founder of a company called Safi Media. So we are on a mission to double the number of female founders who sustainably scale past a million in annual revenues by 2030 through entrepreneurship education, business coaching, and storytelling. So that's sort of our big mission. And so we have the opportunity to work with incredible founders, to do research, to advise and consult with um, some of the biggest organizations and institutions that are impacting the realities of those female founders, and to, like you through our podcast, bring the stories of other female founders to light. Absolutely. And I think that's what I loved that it really attracted to me because I was really trying to find a group of people who had scaled a business. Like I wanted somebody who was going to help me who had actually already done it. I, a lot of the people who I'd looked at before had great information, but you know, I want to follow people who have done things. And because I was looking at to shift a complete, you know, fr- away from a very patriarch rule driven businesses that aren't built to go into the future and to scale like that, expert style of businesses like, you know, accounting and the framework and the mindset that we had to shift to do that. I also wanted to see someone who was a bit more service-based, who's done it before and who has a team behind her as well. And I love the fact that you use the numbers. Like that's a that's a very measurable achievement. I'm going to double the numbers. So there's a stat that I use all the time, which is the 1% of businesses led by women is over a million and you're wanting to take that to two. Yeah. And then that's just one number. So again, that really attracted me as well. And I want to be, you know, that number. So um, I don't know, I only want to go over a million. I want to then have the million profit. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, I won't be stopping but there. The million's yeah. important. <laughs> so this is my goal that I've set is I'm going to turn over a million. Is, then yeah. I'm going to make a million before tax. Then I'm going to make a million after tax. Amazing. And then I'm going to pay a million dollars in tax. So they're the four goals. Oh, so good. Oh my gosh. I love it. I love it. Yeah. So um, that's not all in one year, people. (laughs) (laughs) That's a long-term goal. So then we work the numbers backwards because I think too, sometimes we set goals 
that million is a you know a really interesting mark, isn't it? It's a mm-hmm. the other day Margie um, Feldman and I would uh, Felhun, sorry, and I were talking about the two million to ten million shift when you're up in there, and the two millions is kind of block. But for me too, I think most people, and I see it in every, all the businesses, both men and women, we we work with everybody. That the million turnover is a is a, a block too, but the million turnover is is just a a thing. It's actually the bottom line that's important. But you've got to hit one first before you can hit the next one. Do you do you feel that the million thing, the line, or the, is it like a four minute mile for people? Is is that what you see? Do they kind of blast out when they go through that? Absolutely. Because I think, you know, every stage of business growth has its own unique sets of challenges um, and it requires something different of the business itself, but also of the leader. Yep. And to me, the, the reason that I chose a million dollars is because for a service-based entrepreneur, the ability to do that sustainably requires a difference in who you are. So you can't necessarily be the chief delivery agent in the way that you were when your business was doing like 100K a year. So yep. things need to change. And once you do that, you know, then it is a completely different set of challenges scaling from, I usually think of three to 10 million. Like that to me is that, that's typically the place where I look at it, where again, it becomes, it's a totally different ball game altogether. And it's the same kind of shift, um, the same magnitude of shift, I think that goes from like, you know, like six to seven figures, it's the same magnitude goes from like 3 million to 10 million. So either way, at every stage, all it is, you know, that revenue, I think, is more a sign of what was required to do it. Yeah. And you you talked about people who can advise in theory about it, but that practice of having done it, um, that's, there's sort of a grittiness um, about that, of that lived experience of what it took. That is something that I think is so interesting and, and so valuable. I think that that's a really important point because I think a lot of us read the books and I certainly have read a lot of books and it wasn't same yeah and it wasn't till I actually went to America in like 2019 and I, I sat in a room of people women who had done amazing things yourself where it was in there Cindy Eckard was in there first woman to ever sell a billion yeah uh, for cash and you know and everybody in between and every single one of them not one of them hadn't had a coach and hadn't had different styles as well. And I went, gosh, you know, as an Australian, that was a bit of a shock for me. As an expert, I think that was a shock for me. We'd never consider that. But if you consider exactly what you just said, you need the framework for sure. And I think a lot of the expert businesses that we work with definitely have the framework, but the framework's based on the old rule that the leader has to be the producer. Yeah. And that's okay if you want to have a business that's always going to be capped at, at your expectation. And if that's what you want, that's that's okay too. Don't burn yourself out trying to prove or disprove anything else. But that shift, and I, I've been through it, is that, oh, shit, I have got to take what I know and turn it into repeatable, scalable products. That has been one of the most uncomfortable – I mean, I've done a lot of uncomfortable work, but – that's probably been the hardest in that. Mm. And then you've got to think, oh, my God, I know I can do it. But it's a whole different scale of trusting yourself 
to know that you can then help other people do it or that you can get your essence essence of that into online education, which is an important part of the scaling. But I think too, a lot of experts, do you see this too with the people that you work with? A lot of experts think they have the qualifications and the degrees, and I see corporate women do this as well, but then they don't take their lived experiences, which is what you're talking about, and combine that in their programs. And that's what we help with. And I know you've helped me with that as well. It's just like, you've got to have people on your team who've been through the actual blocks that it takes. Yeah. I mean, that lived experiences is really important because I think, you know, at the end of the day, there is that ability to, um, there's that ability to provide, you know, useful tools, um, useful knowledge that that person, that expert business in your case can sort of put into the mix. Um, and, but there is something about, you know, um, that, you know, what I would call situational awareness, <laughs> you know, good tip. And so, yeah. And so it's just that it's, it's the situational awareness. It's the nuances. Um, this is how it happens in the textbook, but in real life, this is what happens. Like, I'll give you an yes. example. Yeah. Before I, um, you know, like many entrepreneurs, my business has evolved over time. And the very first sort of iteration of my consulting business, a coaching business rather, um, it evolved out of, you know, a consulting business that I ran before. And so I primarily worked with women leaders and these were women leaders and entrepreneurs. And it happened because I was very good at helping um, women leaders articulate a strong point of view. And the ability to articulate a strong point of view is critical in terms of things like leadership presence. So this leadership presence, and and all of a sudden you're talking to people about leadership presence, about articulating a point of view, and then you're having these conversations about what it means to lead a team, you know, for example. And what I always find interesting is, you know, for in the, in the example is you can go and become certified as a leadership coach. You can read all of the Brene Brown books but have you ever actually led anything, anything, Bingo. Like, you know, <laughs> and that's where theory meets reality and yeah. collides with reality. And that's where, you know, and that's where I think that sort of nuanced experience is so helpful. That's just one example. Yeah. One of my biggest bugbears is business coaches who have never run a business. Yeah. Now, you know, you might be a great marketing person and all of that sort of stuff, Call yourself a marketing per- coach. Yes, so true. Business coaches need to have lived experience in running business. And if you have a business coach that cannot tell you how your strategy links to numbers, and I don't mean they need to be financial statement reading gurus, I mean yeah. any numbers, the lived experience of that is, is so important. And that's why I was so attracted to you. Another thing I love about that is I think – and if you listen to any of Eleanor's podcasts, you'll they hear the rules. The rules that we have right now have just basically burnt us out, the business rules that we have. And I see that more so probably in the expert businesses because we can still make money right now. But the problem with the expert, you know, and I had this as well, is we had to be the ones doing it. And we wanted to be, you know, the people who want to be leaders as well, trying to change trying to go, okay, well, the world is telling me that I need to charge X amount of hours a day. Then they're also, the world is also the rules, the new rules coming in and say, oh, I've got to lead. I've got to learn all these new skills. How do I 
do that. So because these rules aren't really working for us and frankly never have, what's your suggestion? Like, what do you think people should do? What's what's the one thing business leaders can do now, particularly in the service-based expert businesses that can help us overcome that, what I call the expert paradox of, well, how do I actually make money, do my team? But yes, I understand. I've read the Renee books and everything. I've listened to Eleanor. I've listened to Sam. Um, and of course, both Eleanor and I have solutions to these people. But um, what do you think is the skills that we need to, to deal with that going forward? I mean, I think the number one skill is discernment. And, and to me, this idea of the rules breaking I think that's been happening in society in general. So like I remember as a little kid still, um, you know, um, things like divorce, there was less divorce when I was a little, there's less divorce, more people went to church. Um, We were stifled in terms of what was right and wrong to believe, but there was this prescribed code and it didn't, it, there were there was a prescribed code, and there were institutions and estates like the church, the school, you know, yeah. all of the the fam, that quote unquote family. There was all of this stuff, and it was both suffocating, and it also contributed a huge amount of certainty. Yes, and so as those institutions and estates have changed, and in some cases unraveled, and we have really started to question: Is this right? You know, how how can we create the kind of social change that we need to allow more freedom, more expression, more tolerance? So what has happened is I, I would well, I mean, this is arguable. Some people may argue this, but we do have sort of increased tolerance, increased freedom. But what that has you know delivered is massive amounts of choice. So as the rules are breaking, we're flooded, you know, where it sort of leaves this, these big, great planes of choice. And inside that, people have all kinds of freedom to do whatever the hell they want. And the biggest thing that they need to figure out is what's right for me. Can I just say amen, hallelujah, and all of that sort of preaching American stuff, even though we're Canadians. Right, science. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so... We have this. And so that's, I think, where the expert industry has arisen, you know, with a vengeance because we can't do it alone. So the biggest, I think, skill that we need to develop as we are both, you know, as we're reckoning with a business world and and social situations where the rules are changing is discernment. And by discernment, I mean, you know, what are my values? What's right for me? And does this belong in my world? Does that belong? So that ability yeah. to discern between what belongs and what doesn't for you, I think that's really key. And then the second part of your question was really about, you know, and then the other part of this is there are these other rules that say you need to generate revenue and grow um, and stay focused on that. And you need to be a good person and be a good leader and embrace your vulnerability and all of this stuff. And it's like, when do I, when do I do all of this? But my big thing has been two things, and I've made so many mistakes, you know, in these areas, but my two big things have been 
discernment and simplicity. So the power of making, of, of trying to make my business as simple as possible, mm-hmm. you know, so that's kind of the first part. And that really helps because when you scale, everything scales. Um, so the complexity and everything. And so you, so you never actually really accomplish scale because it, there's just more complexity and, and expense. So I think keeping things really, really simple um, is one thing that has helped tremendously and then the second part of it, I think, which is a little bit harder, is constantly, you know, bit by bit, bringing in more than enough support. Oh, yeah. That is so true. That little bit of fat. <sighs> right? Yeah. Just it has to be more than you think you need because it's surprising the degree to which a lack of support will bury you faster than just about anything else. This episode is brought to you by The Aligned Leader, a six-week program built to combat the leadership fatigue syndrome so you can grow your business without the overwhelm. And that's tough. And I think some of my clients, um, sort of expert clients, we, we have a benefit in that we do already have a cash flow, but because of the mindset rules around some of that, it's like, oh, I've got a be the one. You know, it's part of my salary as opposed to I yeah. want to reinvest into my business. So it's like, you know, they might not be paying themselves a salary. Um, but then they look at things, oh, well, I'm taking 250000 out. I'm going, no, you're not. Like if you had to pay yourself that on the open market, it might be 200. So you're taking 50 out, but there's nothing left in the business. Yeah. Like you want to scale, you want to do anything in a business. You want to grow people. You want to, if you do want to grow. But I think, you know, that that's true. You don't necessarily have to grow your revenue and everything if you don't want to. Like, (laughs) I think people feel that they have to, then they burn out when they don't. I mean, I think the two biggest traps for expert-based businesses, or I don't know if these are the big, maybe that's an exaggeration, but two big ones that I think and, and, you know, are key. So I noticed when I, you know, when I initially started my expert business and I was coaching, Um, I was delivering the service. I was the business. I was delivering the service, tons of one-on-one coaching. Like I can, I can remember, you know, when I was literally coaching for 30 hours a week, I mean, it was, it was, I was just putting in the time. I loved it, you know, until all of a sudden I didn't. But, um, what I noticed as I started bringing in people to help me with that is that, um, one of the biggest things I realized was all of a sudden I didn't, I, my ego derived a lot from being able to personally get in there in the business, help them, you know, be really close to them, to that support. And I realized that I, um, I was missing that and I felt weird and I felt like, well, what's my job if I'm not doing this? And so it was that sort of need for significance. Um, that part, kind of has to die in order for you to make room for other people to do it and focus on other areas. So that was like a huge, huge identity crisis for me that I had to really um, move through in order to be able to scale. I had to release my need for significance. I think that is so true. Like I've, I am, I probably am saying, I will say now, I'm probably going through that right now in that um, I have shifted from I don't have to, I can have some education and I'm certainly doing more and impacting more people. But it's like now I'm going to have to bring other people or go into the 
in a slightly different model. So I'm not going to get deep or do that little bit of magic that I do that gives me so much joy. And yeah. it is a thing of significance, isn't it? It's like, mm. and it's dying now. And I'm, I, I actually, you know, you know, having a, someone like yourself say that stuff and then also understanding that I've already made one shift and, and then the next one, that's a big thing. And that doesn't get solved by more work, more hours or more anything. It actually gets solved by sitting back and sitting down and taking time and space. And then as experts who are hours for dollar, no matter if you're doing coaching at a good rate or it doesn't matter, you're going, holy shit, you know, my significant and my thing is on the fact that I can not even bill hourly anymore, but you know, I can see this many clients and now, you know, everyone's, now I know, I know the value of that and I still <laughs> struggle with it. And I know one of the things that you tell us and, and I have instigated and it's a hard one is 40% of your week needs yeah. to be space. I'm um, not time, space. And that's really hard for the expert as well, because we do, we, we have to understand that before we shift. And that is not, that's very effeminate approach to it as a pass from the masculine transactional, which you need both, but it's a, it's a hard shift and not understanding that will always limit your success, I think. Yeah, no, I totally, I totally agree. I think that um, this, the, having the space to be able to um, think, plan, uh, analyze, reflect, um, you know, those types of things create, they're huge. And that's what drives the business forward. That's what actually grows the business. Yeah. I always get amused when people say, oh, I got this great idea in the shower, you know, some of my clients. And I go, yeah, can you create that time more, but maybe not in the shower because, you know, we're having a water crisis. But actually now it's been raining, so they can. But it's like yeah. that moment, that time when you're just there, that's what you got to create. And I've done a, a whole lot of work with Dr. Valerie Rain, I know, who's had been on your podcast and stuff. And it is, she says 90%, which I don't actually agree with. But I think that, you know, because, you know, it's not my number, but the more time I spend in that, the better my business is. Yeah. And it's so counterintuitive. It is so counterintuitive to our rules that we've said of push, 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 hustle, 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 do whatever, you know, to, to retreat to, and then to come back. And I think you can't simplify either if you don't get rid of the shit that if so to, to create that space, you've got to get rid of stuff. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, it's based on this paradigm of empire building, which is that more is better. Yeah. You know, and I think we've seen time after time after time that, you know, empires are really good at falling um, because like, that's what they're really good at because yeah. they're actually not sustainable. Mm. Um, even, even like quote unquote, well-run ones I can remember. And I think it was Niall Ferguson's book, um, empire or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Empire, they showed, they showed the, the exam that, uh, a British man would need to take in order to qualify to go out and be an administrator in India, you know, back in the day. And the exam was unbelievable. It was like, you needed to be a total genius. You know? <laughs> So you could have these geniuses trying to maintain an empire and all it's going to do is fall. And because it, the law of more is better actually is totally unsustainable. And I think we're seeing this. You talked about the water crisis. We are having, you know, climate catastrophes in Canada across the world. 
Um, and it's a consequence of this idea that growth, um, you know, that growth is about more all the time. And that model of growth is actually very damaging. And it's, it's basically driven from a place of scarcity. And what I'm really interested in is what, you know, as more and more women step into wealth, it's not about necessarily maintaining, you know, the models that came before, but what happens when there's enough, I'm enough, this is enough, you know, what happens when that becomes the driver? I have found, you know, I went through a period of disillusionment where I was always extremely motivated by more. I'm ambitious and competitive, you know? And so I was always driven by that. And then I got it. What I, you know, I got, I reached milestones and accomplished things that I wanted. And I didn't, it didn't mean anything to me. You know, it really didn't. Yeah. And then I realized, well, that's, well, then what is it? And I had no answers. And so my ambition sort of drained out of me for a while, like a tide. And like a tide going out. And and I've had that happen a couple times in my life before. And it's usually the thing that happens before a major and important change. And it was in that major important change that I realized, no, this is about, you know, what what is important to me actually really is the mission. And it really is about, so I have a mission, but the vision behind that is to really, it's really about proving the power of a model of growth that actually nourishes the planet one woman at a time. So when we think about these seven figure businesses. It's not just the seven figures. It's because that is a proof point. Mm. I'm, I think about marketing and business growth as the recruitment of proof points to show the world, the world's leaders, you know, (laughs) look, you can grow you can create revenue, you can create employment, you can build your tax base in a sustainable way. Look at the, these female founders who've done it. You yeah. know, the real reason why we can't pass climate change legislation, all of that is because nobody actually believes that you can grow the economy and protect the environment at the same time. Nobody really believes that because quite frankly, we haven't seen it. Yeah. You know, so we have to have these proof points. And so Anyway, when I, when the ambition flooded out and silence and disillusionment flooded in on the other side of that was vision. And, um, that is, I think, you know, the pursuit of a vision is one of the most sustainable, you know, when you are doing that from a place of enoughness is, you know, one of the most sustainable forces on the planet. I just feel that that's so true because I had a similar similar experiences. Um, you know, I had achieved every ticked it. You know, leading an eight million dollar uh, eight figure business. You know, a woman. You know, in, you know, blah blah blah. Didn't realize that was such a big milestone until I got out. All of that stuff in an accounting firm, and the but the accounting firm's vision was not mine, and I had gone in there with a vision, and and everyone was kind of on board with it. But I, I ticked all the boxes. I'm very highly qualified. I did my time, you know. But back in the early 2000s, I opened up a tree services business, nearly got to a million dollars. I'd never think about that as successful. And with my husband, with marketing and everything, we're in a completely different business because I had these success metrics that were based on the professional industries of you need to be here, you need to do that, and you need. And when I got there, I was burnt out, alcoholic, <laughs> frankly, way overweight. And 
I was not. And then the disillusionment of that is like, that took a long time. But then, like you said, every time you have that kind of crisis, the next step, if you do the work, is 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 the point. Like that's the point. And then you go up and you go up. And then this enoughness is so important because that's an internal play. The biggest critics we have are ourselves. I actually sometimes, you know, everyone says, oh, I'm going to bash down the doors that were closed to me and everything. I think we actually close our own doors because of the generational and, you know, they're not even being closed by us, but they're being closed internally. Yeah. And, you know. The ability to like see them as a possibility. Yeah. And I have never really had many people, oh, that's not true. I have had guys tell me I can't do things. No, I shouldn't. And I shouldn't, like, shouldn't be emotional. Mm. I shouldn't you know, bring stuff up, you know, that safe conversations are talking about people behind their backs and, you know, all of this sort of stuff. I have had that. But I think the person who's always told me that I can't do things is me and internally anyhow. And then I'm going, oh, the, everyone's telling me, the whole industry is telling me I can't do this. And I'm going, I'm really not sure they are actually. <laughs> That's an internal rule play. <laughs> yeah, the rules are there. The rules say I can't. Well, you know, disillusionment with success is, and I know that men and women are both listening to this show, but you know, the hero's journey is like a classic, um, storytelling, you know, you could argue that the Bible is written in a story in a hero's journey format. Uh, so is avatar tons of stories, Gilgamesh, you know, and the hero's journey is the hero. Um, there's a, there's a call. The hero is called to go out on a mission he goes out on the mission. He encounters a minimum of three challenges. Each one is bigger than him and he has to rise to overcome the challenge. And the resolution is that he gets what he wants or what he needs. And there's a mentor along the way. Well, the, and that was sort of, you know, that was really laid out by Joseph Campbell and Joseph Campbell had this student. Her name was Maureen Murdoch. I had her on my show. She was just, I've, I've loved her for years. And she was working in the 70s with really successful women in the San Francisco Bay Area. And she noticed, you know, she'd been studying, she was a student of Joseph Campbell's and she talked to him after class one day. She said, you know, it's so weird, but I don't really see the, the hero's journey looks different for women. Um, because what she was seeing was all these women, they were doing that. They were pursuing the hero's journey which is what we're all, that's the traditional rules. They yes. got the prize and they're like, what? This is it? You know, so it's just a, such, and I bet like so many women experience this. This is really, this is what it is. And then, you know, we go through what Murdoch uh, called the dark descent. So it's the descent <laughs> into the dark feminine. So it's this kind of looking inside yeah. And it's this idea that fulfillment, you know, is always, the answer is always inside. Um, but you have to descend into who you are to find it. So this disillusionment, you know, when people are experiencing this disillusionment in their business or in their careers, what we should be doing is getting ecstatic about it because it's the beginning of the journey. Yes, it is. It yeah. really, it really is. And what you come out the other side, like I can honestly say at 50, I am 20 years younger than I was at 40. Interesting. Like, yes. In, um, look, look that too. Yeah. Um, not just feel that. I mean, yeah. but it's important because I always thought, uh, everyone says, oh, you look great. No, I feel great. Yeah. Um, and you know what? I have very shitty days and they still cycle up and down like, you know, no one's tomorrow. Yeah. But overall, it's just like 
now it is. It's not a, I just still don't think it's a joy when we go into those little dark places. But now I know that it's imperative that you do and you have to sit in it and you have to create it Um, because you have your own little deep descents, don't you, every month anyhow. But, and it is important and it's the discomfort in that too. I see, um, you know, I do see um, men go through this as well. There's a whole lot of disillusionment, whether it's, a, you know, in, in their own way. So, you know, the hero's journey for guys too, I think, has burnt and perhaps even killed more men than women because they don't mm. go into that deep descent because, mm. oh, I've done my thing now. I need to stay tough. They go golf. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, guys. I'm totally kidding. They go golf. They go golf. No, forget it. That was okay. just, that was a joke. That was oh, a joke. Don't. <laughs> oh, bloody golf. I can tell you, uh, golf was one of the reasons I ended up leaving that big firm was because the guys would go, the, the other female partner and I were, would always, we're never invited to the Saturday golf games or anything like that, which honestly, neither of us liked golf. But um, yeah, there was this boys club thing and then they invited our husbands to a cooking thing and not us. And I just went, what is up with this? Yeah. What is up with this? And so the golf thing I could understand, and I don't cook, but, you know, the other lady does, but why did you invite your our husbands and not us? And cooking is a feminine thing. And I just went, Yeah. When you have retreats and stuff, what's your replacement for golf? Like, you know, I, w- I want to find a, a, a gender neutral because, you know, obviously I like to go to the spa and do that. the stuff guys don't tend to do that. But, you know, what's the combination one? Ooh, that's, yeah, that's not my forte. I, I don't know. I mean, hiking maybe. like Maybe yeah. just do what you want and find some people to do no, it with. I don't have a sweet clue. I'm sorry. We shouldn't have bagged on golf. Um Anyhow, that was that was amazing. Not quite sure how we ended up in that one, but um, I think there's been a, a lot of great things. Can we just have a quick look? What what are you either summarizing up what summarizing what you just said, or what are your kind of three, two or three things um, that we want to leave um, everybody with to really start to do that shift? I think the first thing is to develop a practice, and this can be uh-huh. a daily practice of discernment and and really starting to ask yourself, you know, what do I want? And does this belong? You know, does this feel good? Do, is this working for me? And this is really critical. I, I just created a podcast episode called The Pain Audit. And it's really this idea of just kind of auditing things that are painful, frustrating, because, you know, on the one hand, for many business leaders, what got us to where we are is that we're resilient and great. Yes. We can withstand pressure, you know, um, and, and still produce. And that there is a place for that. I, I really believe there is a place for that. Not to the extent that modern business would have us believe, but there is a place for it. But sometimes that same strength can become a weakness because we become immune to problems. So I think just really taking time to be present to what's not working, to discern, you know, does this belong or does this not belong? I think that's huge. The second thing I think is the power of focus. Smart, creative people routinely overestimate what they can get done in a day you know, and I will just leave it there because they never get to underestimate what they can get done in five years because they've burnt <laughs> out and they've gone back to corporate, you know? So there's like, there's just for that routine over us estimation. I think that's like the other part of it, you know, that's huge. And then the third part I think is to really, I really challenge people to begin to, to have a different orientation. And the orientation is of it's enough. 
Yeah. You know, there's enough time, there's enough money, I, I can do this. And that whole like learning how to be ambitious from that anchoring insufficiency has been one of the most sort of profound um, shifts that I have gone through myself. And um, it's made me a better leader. Um, and it is a much more fulfilling way to live. Amen to that. Well, thank you so much, Eleanor, for being on. Oh, it's such a privilege. Thank you so much. That's right. And everyone else, as always, be brave and continue the conversation. Thank you so much for your time. We work super hard on this podcast and are passionate about helping expert entrepreneurs build businesses without overwhelm. To help us, can you please leave a review if you loved it on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform?